May the Lord bless today his word as it is read and as it is preached unto us. Uh, Our text today is from Proverbs chapter 17, verses 17 and 18. Proverbs 17, 17 and 18. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born of adversity. A man void of understanding and understanding striketh hands, and becometh surety in the presence of his friend. To go through life without a friend or without friends, whether that friend be your husband or your wife, whether that friend be a brother or a sister in Christ, you will stand in a position where you will be going through many adversities and many afflictions and trials all by yourself. Whether adversities due to your health, illness, poverty, uh, other types of trials, great miseries in this life, all alone. Whereas to enjoy such a friendship is indeed the great blessing that God does give to us. However, God says in Proverbs 18, verse 24, that if you would have friends, you must show yourself to be a friend. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. But how does one show himself or herself to be a friend? Chiefly, According to our text, he loves at all times. He loves at all times. How we need to have families full of friends in our church rather than adversaries with whom we continually bicker like a dripping faucet. How we need to have a church full of friends rather than rivals with whom we compete or spiritual giftedness, or public attention. How we need to develop trust between one another as friends by always seeking to be honest and transparent rather than forming secret meetings with certain ones with hidden agendas. Dear ones, if we do not view ourselves as friends, not merely by our profession, but by our words and our deeds, we will eventually distrust one another to such an extent that we will second-guess and become suspicious of the motive of every word and deed that proceeds from the mouth of a brother or sister. And if we are not and do not treat one another as friends in all honesty and in integrity, we will eventually become outright foes. 
the main points from our text this Lord's Day are the following. Number one, a friend loves at all times. Proverbs 17.17 And second, a friend loves with understanding. A friend loves with understanding. Proverbs 17.18 First of all, a friend loves at all times. We read in verse 17 of Proverbs 17, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Very often, it seems that we, even as Christians, practice a very strange and contradictory idea of love and friendship toward those with whom we are bound, either bound by natural ties as family members or covenantal ties by way of the church. By our thoughts, words, and actions, we seem to think that it is a less serious sin to offend a family member or a church member than a total stranger. Simply reflect for a moment on the cruel words that we may have uttered or the offensive actions we may have committed against a family member or a church member or the hidden backbiting which we would never have uttered or said or committed against a total stranger. The things that we say to one another to whom we are the closest because we can supposedly let our hair down and treat one another with greater contempt than we do total strangers. Our family members and church members less deserving of respect, love, honesty, and patience than complete and total strangers? Well, not according to God. For example, cursing a stranger is a grievous sin, as Christ said that we're not to curse even our enemies out of personal vengeance in Matthew 5. But cursing one's parents is so abominable to God that he says such a mature child should be put to death. It's so abominable to curse parents. He says such a child deserves to be put to death in Exodus 21.17. Another example. Stealing from a stranger is always a sin according to the Eighth Commandment in Exodus 20, verse 15. But defrauding a brother in Christ by deceit and dishonesty is especially heinous, according to 1 Corinthians 6.8, where we read, and Paul says this in almost utter amazement as to what was going on in Corinth. He says, Nay, ye do wrong and defraud 
and that your brethren. You even do it to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You defraud, defraud and deceive. And that your own brethren. What would you think of a father who fed and clothed uh, all the neighbor's children um, down the street while his own children ran around naked and hungry? Wouldn't you think that something is wrong with this picture? God tells us what he thinks. In 1 Timothy 5.8 First Timothy 5.8, God says, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Charity begins at home. Charity begins with those who are closest to us by way of natural ties and covenant ties. If we don't know how to show it, show trust, avoid deceit and dishonesty, and to love one another, we're never going to show it out there. And we're never going to have any kind of a convincing testimony to those who are not a part of us. But when we show that one to another, that will draw people to us. That will draw people into our church when they see that kind of love being demonstrated in the exercise. Another example, it is a sin to spread strife among all men. For according to Paul in Romans 12 and 12, 18, we are to seek to live at peace with all men. So it's, it's a sin to spread strife to all men. You know, in the world in general, we ought not to be those who spread strife. But, Again, it is especially an aggravated sin to sow strife among brethren or in a family. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Dear ones, you are bound together as adopted children in God's family through the blood of Christ, who died to purchase you unto himself. And now, as a member of God's family, God commands you to do good to all men, even to strangers. But especially to do good to those who are of the household of faith, according to Galatians 6.10. Love, as I said, begins at home. And God says in 1 John 4.20, If you cannot love your brother whom you can see, then you cannot love God whom you cannot see.
And dear ones, uh, if we should point our finger at others who are guilty in this area, but do not humbly bow before the living God and cry out to the Lord saying, God have mercy upon me, a sinner, it only demonstrates how much we have deceived ourselves with regard to this particular sin. For we are all guilty to varying degrees in committing this sin. It's not that we shouldn't identify the sin in others where it occurs, but we should begin with our own hearts and our own lives. This so clearly shows how much we need the mercy and the forgiveness of our Savior and the power of God's Spirit to grow us in love for one another in honesty, in transparency, in openness, rather than in deceit and dishonesty. We are short-tempered, impatient, overly critical and harsh toward those so often that we are especially to love. But until we acknowledge this sin... To be ours, we will be like a man suffering from cancer in his body who will not acknowledge he has it and receive the help that is available to him to destroy it. Well, what is the solution to this gross contradiction in our lives? Where we see the lack of love in others, but don't see the lack of love in our own lives. What's the answer to this kind of gross contradiction? We who are members of Christ, whether husbands and wives, whether parents and children, whether brothers and sisters in Christ, within the same church, holding the same terms of communion, whether members and elders, we all need to learn to be friends. We all need to learn to be friends rather than competitors. Friends rather than foes. Accomplices rather than conspirators. Joining in league to accomplish the same goals. Moving in the same direction rather than dividing the church through different goals and different objectives. Our, he, our English word friend is actually derived from the Gothic term for love. In other words, friend is one who loves. Hebrew, the Hebrew text here in Proverbs 17.17 17 actually says, literally, the, the friend... Not just any person who calls himself a friend, but the friend, that is a true friend, is one who continues to love in all of time. Let me list for you some things that love does and does not do to a friend. Whether it's a family member, immediate family, extended family, whether it's uh, a friend who is in the church, These are things, dear ones, that love does not do to a friend or does do to a friend. First of all, love covers the sins 
of a friend. When those sins are slight, unintentional, non-malicious, and private. And does not gossip or spread an evil report about him or her. Secondly, love is patient with a friend and does not burst out in anger against him, saying all kinds of things that, that later one regrets. And if one does do so, love compels that person to come back as soon as possible to say, please forgive me, I've sinned against you. Thirdly, love waits to hear the response of a friend when there is a problem and does not assume the worst about him. Waits for tangible evidence from credible witnesses. Doesn't just uh, accept mere rumors as being the same as actual fact. Fourthly, love works and prays for reconciliation when there is a division and does not seek to get even with that person. When trust between those who were friends, uh, close friends perhaps at one time, has been so damaged, the trust is so damaged, it will no doubt take some time to restore that friendship. Because friendship is based upon trust. It's based upon a trustworthiness. But it must begin if that relationship is to be restored and that trust is to be restored. It must begin by genuine repentance for sin that has been committed and evidenced in their life. Fifthly, love shows mercy to a friend and does not ignore a friend even if there is a lack of fellowship at a particular time, even if there's been a division that's occurred, friendship doesn't say because uh, of this breakdown in trust or you know love not being shown that if you have a need, I don't care, I'm not going to try and help you in that need. Even in that situation, if there is a legitimate need, a friend loves at all times and seeks to meet that legitimate need that a person has. If that's what we're to do with even our enemies, then how much more with those who have been close friends and there's been something that has come between us. Sixthly, and just so that you know, there's a long, long list of these things, um, about 17 of them. <laughs> and so, um, as I n- number them, I'm doing so just for the sake of you being able to distinguish one from another. And if you're taking notes, you can identify them. <coughs> but, uh, sixthly, love is content with the gifts and graces with which God has blessed your friend, whether husband or wife, or whether someone else in the church, and does not envy the gifts and the graces of a friend, but rather rejoices before God that your friend has been given these gifts and graces 
and that God has so richly blessed your friend. Seventh, love cherishes the truth and the righteousness of God and does not avoid going to a friend when there is a problem, when there is sin, when something has come between you. It so cherishes truth and righteousness that it, that if it has so hindered your relationship, so broken and damaged your relationship, that a real friend, a true friend, is not content simply to remain in that situation, but begins to pray, first of all, about how that particular matter can be addressed. Even if it is uncomfortable. Even if it is uncomfortable. Where trust is so seriously damaged and destroyed, love earnestly prays that trust through earnest repentance might be restored so as to work toward and rebuild that friendship. And again, where damage to trust has been very severe, it may take a while simply to approach that person because it's very hard to even begin where you believe trust has been totally destroyed due to lying, deception, that type of thing. But we should be praying at least praying that there would be the opportunity for that to occur. Eighth, love thinks of what is most spiritually profitable for a friend and does not merely think of what is best or easiest, I should say, most comfortable for the friend, but thinks what is best spiritually, most profitable spiritually for that friend, regardless of what that friend may have to go through in order to learn the lessons that need to be learned. Ninth, love speaks the truth in humility to a friend that is living in sin or error and does not approve of the sin in his or her life. Even a Again, a close friend, a family member. It's not content just to be neutral so as not to offend them, but in all honesty speaks forth the truth because there is love, because one cares for that person. To basically leave friends with the impression that we are neutral to their sin or to their error is not to love them, but is rather to hate them. Tenth, love stands upon his or her word and does not break lawful covenants, lawful promises, or lawful agreements to a friend or to a group of friends. He swears to his own hurt. And when he breaks a promise, or when he breaks a covenant or an agreement, he's quick to repent of what he has done so as to repair that broken relationship. It doesn't drag on for weeks or months or years, but one is quick to do so. 
a friend uh, under number 10 a friend does not enter into contradictory agreements with others that would have the effect of violating previous lawful agreements such as entering into union with members and elders within a church to bring any doubtful area of concern to the elders but then subsequently entering into a contradictory agreement not to bring any area of concern to the elders. That's a contradictory agreement. A friend doesn't do that. For friends honor their word with one another, even to their own hurt. The most severe blow I submit to you to a friendship as I've said earlier, is mistrust or distrust. Where there is a loss of trust, so the friendship will be severely damaged and even perhaps that friendship destroyed. And that is why fidelity to covenants, marital covenants, ecclesiastical covenants, to promises made and agreements are absolutely essential to friendship. Why do we trust God and not Satan? Because God cannot lie. And Satan is the father of lies. Number 11. Love focuses more on how we can encourage a friend than how we can be critical of his weaknesses. Love focuses more, in other words, on how we can ultimately help a friend than just hammering away at his many weaknesses or her many weaknesses. Uh, that certainly doesn't mean that, I guess we said earlier, where there's sin that's been involved, that we must avoid that sin. In fact, it is to encourage them, and it is to love them, and it is to comfort them to bring their sin before them, because only once they recognize their sin and repent of it will they know the comfort and the mercy and the encouragement of the Lord. You see, dear ones, encouragement of a friend is not mere flattery. We're told to avoid mere flattery with one another. But encouragement, dear ones, is that which we offer to friends to to. Uh, uh, to grant them courage, encouragement. It is to put encouragement in them. Two, uh, two different uh, uh, words there. Encourage, and so that's the purpose: is to give them courage to do what's right. You encourage them. Um, <clears throat> Friends don't seek to beat one another down uh, under the same point number 11. They don't seek to beat one another down. 
as if that's their goal, is just to beat them up, just to inflict punishment upon them. But rather, friends look for ways to help, look for ways to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Number 12. Love seeks to understand the peculiar circumstances of a friend and does not quickly form judgments about him. But as I said, friendship would involve some investigation, not simply believing because you have heard a rumor about somebody and you simply believe it on the spot. Um, No, friendship means that you're going to take the care, the time to get the evidence, if that is the case. And understand any peculiar circumstances associated with what happened with your friend. How often our judgments about others are formed by our own perception and what we hear by way of rumor rather than by an honest evaluation of the peculiar circumstances of others. We then choose to believe the worst about one another, not based upon factual information, but based upon our perceptions. Number 13. Love applies the same standard of truth, namely God's holy word, to a friend as one does to his own life doesn't have a double standard. He'll treat his friend one way, but he treats himself with greater liberty and laxness according to God's law. A friend does not judge others more harshly than he judges himself. For a friend realizes that but for the grace of God in restraining him or her from the same sin, he or she would be in exactly the same situation if not in a far worse situation. Number 14. Love prays for a friend and does not harbor resentment and bitterness toward a friend. Anytime resentment and bitterness are welling up within our hearts toward a friend, toward anybody, even our enemies, where we're overcome with resentment and bitterness and we want to, to take vengeance upon them to give them what they deserve and we see that as our prerogative, our right to do so, then we have ourselves, dear ones, fallen into a very grave and serious sin. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Our responsibility is simply to confront people with sins that hinder our relationship, to talk to them, pray for them, but not to be overcome with bitterness and resentment. That is a grievous sin. And I submit this to you in in relationship to that. It is very, very hard to sincerely pray upon one's knees for a friend and if there's been a disruption in that relationship to be sincerely praying for a friend on your knees and then when you arise immediately 
to be filled with bitterness and resentment. If we are sincere, it's not that we won't be tempted with bitterness and resentment after rising from prayer, but it's very, very difficult, I believe, if we have been sincere in prayer to God, that we become not nor be overcome by resentment and bitterness. It's very difficult to immediately rise up and just to have that same bitterness and resentment we had before we went to prayer. Because prayer is a humbling of ourselves and seeing ourselves that we are no better than that person. And but for the grace of God, we would be exactly in the same situation. Number 15. Love realizes that only God can ultimately change a friend's heart and does not nag, does not hound him or her continuously until he or she surrenders out of mere exhaustion to stop the dripping faucet. We go to a friend, but we realize our continually going to a friend will likely drive them further and further and further away from us. We say what we need to say, but if they're not repentant, if they do not want to discuss the very issue that has hindered our friendship, then we have to basically leave it in the hands of the Lord and say, God, I can't do anymore. I don't know what more I can do. Take care of this situation and softening this person's heart because there isn't much more that I can do. God alone changes people's hearts. And so we must not be or act as though we are God, as if we are the Holy Spirit. Number 16. Love enjoys and desires communion with a friend and does not cherish a state of isolation from a friend. There may be a need at times due to unrepentant sin for there to be a time of isolation and withdrawal from a friend, yea, even a family member. But there is continual prayer that that barrier of sin and distrust might yet be removed by repentance and forgiveness. That's number 17, last one. It is the glory and truth of Christ, dear ones. I saved this for last. It is the glory and truth of Christ that first and foremost and supremely brings true friends together rather than mere family relationships, common interests, common amusements, common hobbies, common work, common accomplishments, and common dreams. Not that these latter items are sinful in and of themselves, but they're secondary. What is first and foremost, supreme, is that friends share this in common, the glory and the truth of Jesus Christ. If your friendship is based, whether it's with a family member or a non-family member, if your friendship is based merely upon a family relationship, common pleasures, shared interests, 
a mere physical attraction or only a likable personality, your friendship, hear me clearly, your friendship cannot glorify Jesus Christ. It will not glorify Jesus Christ. These things I have just mentioned may be present. All these common interests may be present, but true friends desire above all else to glorify Christ together in their friendship. How much that should be true with young people and older young people who think in terms of courtship. Who they're going to marry. If that's not supreme at the point of courtship, you're headed for disaster. You're headed for disaster if that is not supremely what your goal is and brings you together. Continuing through the text, we also observe from our text in Proverbs 17.17 that the true friend loves, Solomon says, at all times. Dear ones, a true friend is not like the changeable seasons of the year, dying out in the fall and winter and reviving in the spring and summer. A friend's love is constant in all circumstances, in all situations. Like Jonathan's love for David, loved him as his own soul. We will read in 1 Samuel 20, uh, verse 17. And then 1 Samuel 23, verses 16 through 18, the bond, the friendship that was there. Even willing to endure the wrath of his own father because of his love for David. Um, Willing to even die because of his love for David. Because he knew David stood for the truth as opposed to his own father. Or like Ruth's love for Naomi. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And though Naomi's other daughter-in-law went back to her family, went back to her God's The sign of true friendship was here. Whatever you have to go through, Naomi, Ruth was in effect saying, I'm going to go through it with you. I'm going to pass through this with you. How much that ought to be, again, remembered in our marriage relationships. Whatever we face, we're not backing down. We're not giving up. Whatever we must face, that we're going to, by God's grace, press forward. Now, that's not to say there are not lawful reasons for the dissolution of a marriage. And those can, in fact, dissolve a marriage, but only the ones that God states. Adultery, lawful desertion that cannot be remedied. But... There are so many other trials and afflictions that we face in our marriage, in our marriages, every one of us. 
and we can't give up. That's a sign of true friendship. And we will press on. Or like the love of Christ for his disciples in John 13.1 says that he loved them and he loved them for all time. I'll just read that uh, very, very quickly. The love of Christ for his disciples. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Loved them unto the end. Now, those weren't very lovable men. (coughs) You consider all of their sins and weaknesses. But having loved them, having set his love upon them, he loved them to the end. And I hope this isn't, uh, I've shared this before uh, in sermons, I hope this isn't embarrassing to my wife um, at all. I think it's a wonderful illustration um, of what I'm talking about here. But um, a number of years ago when our children were very small um, and uh, uh, I think Jenny was probably around five and and Christy three and... uh, and uh, I don't know if that would put Josh having been born yet or yet to be born, but uh, but anyway, uh, Lana had a very difficult day. Things just didn't seem to go the way that she had planned at all, and uh, she was very very frustrated with how things uh, had gone. And uh, then. You know, with us so often, after we express our anger and our frustration, then we feel so guilty about what we've said and how we've said it and stuff like this. And it happens to all of us. But uh, um, uh, she was, you know, saying things like, How could God love me? You know, how could God, you know, how could I be one of God's children? Look at how I've acted and how I've so blown this and stuff like this. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, how could God be my friend? And uh, and uh, out of the corner of the room, she heard a little voice um, from one of our children at that time, very small and who uh, simply said, was quoting basically, um, uh, the Bible verse that she was memorizing. And uh, uh, what the little one said upon hearing her mother state these things was, a friend loves at all times. Reminding her of the love of God. Well, needless to say, Lana was broken as the Spirit of God illuminated her understanding to see that the Lord Jesus Christ is a friend who loves at all times. After all, he did not go to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin that would corrupt and pollute us knowing 
the worst about us, he died for us, dear Christian. Having loved us and died for us when we were yet his enemies, he will love us forever, having now made us the very children of the living God. Who can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing, so says Paul in Romans 8, 38-39. And finally, in this first main point, note that in Proverbs 17, 17, that the true friend who loves at all times is a brother born for adversity. Not a brother or a sister born for good times, to help them make it through good times, when everything's going right, but a true friend is a brother born for adversity. This continues, dear ones, the theme of constancy of a friend from the previous stanza. When difficult times come, the true friend doesn't desert and abandon the one who is loved. The true friend even carries, if necessary, the friend because as the lyrics from a song sang many years ago, you may remember the, the stanza so well, he ain't me. he's my brother. You find having to carry a brother or a sister, a husband or a wife, a member of the church, in the time of adversity to be burdensome and a mere obligation, Perhaps you have forgotten how Jesus Christ has carried your sins and your transgressions. Perhaps you have not reflected in some time how the Lord daily carries your burdens and all your many weaknesses. Can you say about your husband or your wife, your children, your parents? Can you say about your brother and sister in Christ? He ain't heavy. He's my brother. The Lord Jesus Christ, dear ones, is a friend of sinners. That's what the scripture teaches. He's a friend of sinners. He's not a friend to those who think themselves to be godly and holy and who are self-righteous. He's a friend to those who know their desperate need of Christ. He's a friend to sinners. And he's a friend born to bear up us, we who are his people in our adversity. When we feel as though we cannot go another step, the Lord comes to us through the deepest and most anguishing trials in life, through death, through misery, through divorce, through uh, uh, health afflictions and trials, when we feel we can't take another step, the Lord comes to us as a friend. And by His Word and His Spirit, He protects us, provides for us, encourages us, and renews our staggering faith and hope in Him. 
He is a friend that sticks closer to us than a brother. He is a friend to all sinners who confess their sin in desperate need of Christ. And he promises that he will never leave nor forsake those who trust in him alone for their eternal salvation in Hebrews 13.5. And there's a, in the Greek language a double negative that is used there that he will never, no never, leave us nor forsake us. It's a rare thing in the Greek language, but it's used for emphasis. Perish the thought, in effect, that God would ever leave or forsake his people. None of us can ever expect dear ones to be a true friend to anyone else. I submit to you. A true friend to anyone else apart from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and understanding how Christ is a true friend to us. We won't we won't be able to to know what real friendship is until we understand the friendship that Christ has for us. For Christ is the true friend into whose image we are being conformed daily in our sanctification and growth in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Christian love is not, dear ones, a natural disposition with which we are born It is a supernatural grace freely purchased by Christ and graciously applied by the Spirit of God to all those who are effectually called unto God. Thus, to the the degree that we manifest any genuine love in our lives as true friends, we have nothing. We have nothing in which to boast concerning ourselves. We love God and the brethren why? Because he first loved us. Our boasting must therefore be in God who loved us and sent his Son to die for us. Not as though there is something within us that makes us friendly, or our personality that is winsome, or anything of that nature. It's due to God's grace. The amazing truth that Jesus Christ is a friend that loves at all times and is as a brother born for adversity in our lives, dear ones, should melt our icy hearts into utter humility, pouring contempt upon all our pride rather than puffing up our hearts with pride and arrogance. A second main point, and this will go through much more quickly. Second main point is a friend loves with understanding. Proverbs seventeen eighteen, where it says, A man void of understanding striketh hands and becometh surety in the presence of his friend. Now I submit to you that there is a connection in thought between verse 17 and verse 18. And the connection may be summarized in this way. First, we learn the nature of friendship. The true friend loves Second, we see the constancy of friendship. The true friend loves at all times. Now, in Proverbs 17:18, we note that the true friend who loves at all times 
does not always bail his friend out of every difficult situation for the true friend seeks to understand what is really best and most profitable for his friend spiritually. The connection between verses 17 and 18 is the word friend which occurs in both verses. Both verses deal with how we are to be a friend. So, looking at verse 18, what is the historical or cultural context of Proverbs 17 18? What's going on here? What's the connection with what was just said in verse 17? Well, what we have here is a friend who has apparently become indebted to a creditor and who comes to his friend beseeching him to come to his financial aid by paying off the debt he owed to his creditor. Pretty severe consequences in that day and age, uh, being in debt. Um, One of the things uh, would be uh, that you not only could lose your home, but you may have to even sell, not possessions, but even children in order to pay off your debt. Um, and so there, there were very serious consequences. Um, uh, and that was to sell them by way of a service uh, in an indentured type of way that I'll have my child work for you to pay off my debt and he will live with you during this period of time. And, and so, very serious consequences to being in debt um, in that particular culture. Not so much that we see today. Um, you know, uh, there are all, way, um, all manner of ways that people can foolishly get themselves into debt um, and uh, simply, you know, remove themselves from all responsibility by claiming total bankruptcy not accepting any responsibility for what they have done. And uh, so, uh, that wasn't uh, so much the case at that particular time, um, unless unless there was a surety, what a person called a surety. Now, a surety was one who stood in the place of the one who owed the money who is indebted, and he stood legally in his place and says to the creditor, I will pay the debt. I stand legally responsible. This person no longer stands responsible for the debt. I stand responsible for the debt. And so that was one way in which someone in that kind of a situation could be relieved of their debt is by a surety standing in his place. And so that the debt in its entirety was transferred from the debtor to the surety. And the formal action that ratified this legal arrangement is here referred to as striking the hands. Uh, Whether that means... uh, Shaking hands, probably a little more vigorous, uh, some way striking hands uh, uh, together, was the formal 
way to um, uh, ratify that legal arrangement. This would seem to be uh, what happens in verse 18. Thus the surety would strike hands with the creditor in the presence of his friend, the debtor. Now, there was and is nothing wrong in and of itself for one to become a surety for his friend in such an indebted situation. There is no outright condemnation of, the, of this practice. It may in some situations be a true act of mercy and friendship. But the caution here in verse 18 that needs to be recognized is this. It has to do with a friend who blindly, rashly, without understanding, without thinking, whether he has the ability to pay off the debt of his friend or even whether it is in the best interest to pay off the debt of his friend, quickly agrees to do so simply because he is his friend. This, Solomon says, is a man lacking in understanding. He simply because his friend has a debt considers it an obligation and responsibility to pay off his debt not considering how did he get into this debt. Not considering what led up to this. Was he foolish? Was he wise? Are these circumstances that just fell upon him beyond his control? You see, the love of friendship, Solomon says, is not lacking in understanding and considering of these types of issues. Friendship doesn't just avoid these types of issues. Friendship cares very much about if someone, if a friend is in debt, how he got into that situation so that he doesn't repeat it, so that he doesn't continue in it, so that he learns from that particular situation how to avoid it in the future. That's not a lack of love. That's not a lack of being a friend. That's being a true friend. Dear ones, here is an important qualification to friendship and love to others. Although a friend is one who loves at all times, that friendship and that love do not necessarily bind one to bail a friend out of every dire circumstance in which he may find himself. For he may need to learn, as we said, in the school of hard knocks, in the school of Christ's providence, that the love of a true friend is not a safety net into which he may fall after making foolish, irresponsible, ill-advised decisions. This is what some may call tough love, but it is a genuine love exercised by a true friend when it is not done vindictively, but for the profit and benefit of the friend who is loved or the family member that is loved. Is done for the glory of Christ and for the friend's spiritual well-being. Now, it is never easy to tell a friend that you cannot come to his rescue when there is a need. But it may be a necessary part of love if you truly care for him or her. However, when this is necessary to take this step, part of love
is part of love if you truly care for him. There must be, dear ones, if it is necessary to take this step, there must be every effort made to offer help by way of advice, counsel, support, encouragement, prayer. May not come to the aid in bailing them out, but you must say to the friend, if you care for them, I will help in any other way that I can by way of prayer, support, and encouragement. And if you stand with Christ, I'll stand with you. If you don't stand with Christ, I won't stand with you. I cannot stand with you. Because then we're working at cross purposes, one with another. And if he listens and learns, you may want to offer more tangible help later on down the road, if you can. But if he spurns your advice and counsel, you may need to draw back from him for a season, simply and only praying that the Lord will humble him. In closing, dear ones, let us never forget that we all were in a state of sinful indebtedness to a holy God at one time. There was no way in which we could possibly pay off that debt to God. Even if we suffered for all eternity in hell, the reason that hell is everlasting is because the debt never gets paid. There was no way for us, therefore, to pay off that debt. Every day, dear ones, we lived... Every day we lived, we became more and more indebted to God. But God had mercy upon us. He covenanted with His own dear Son who became our surety and willingly agreed to stand in the place of God's elect, suffering the shameful death of the cross and the infinite wrath of of a holy God. Not for friends, but for us who were his enemies. To stand in our place that we might become his friends, not because we were already his friends. Since we could not, dear ones, learn from our own indebtedness because of our own sinful corruption, our own indebtedness, we could not learn from it. Christ bore it all for us and imputed to us by faith His perfect righteousness. May the love of our surety, the Lord Jesus Christ, fill us so to such a degree that we may know how to be a true friend that loves at all times. Let us stand together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are in need of Thy instruction, of Thy power, enlightenment. For Father, we are foolish. We are dull of hearing by nature. And Lord, uh, we would chase away uh, every person who would be our friend if it were not for Thy mercy and grace. 
We would become, O oh God, if we were left to ourselves, the worst enemy to everyone with whom we have contact, if it were not due to thy mercy and grace. And everyone would become, likewise, the worst enemy to us. But, O oh God, we thank thee that there are, that we do have the blessing and the gift of friendship. And that is, again, due to thy to thy friendship in taking us unto thyself that is due O God to showing us teaching us what a friend is from thy word and what a friend is not and we pray our father that that thou would lead us and guide us and that thou would Lord help us to practice friendship in our marriages that, Lord, we could honestly say that our husband or our wife is our best friend here upon the earth. And that, well, Lord our God, there would be friendship likewise between children and parents, though recognizing there is authority in the home. Friendship between elders and members of the church, though there is authority in the church that must be respected and honored and friendship between brothers and sisters in Christ within the church likewise may we cherish these relationships and not take them for granted may we think about Lord God the privileges we have that many in our church who are all alone do not have and may we not simply profess this to be the case but may we father actively pursue to speak with, to talk with, to encourage, to invite over for times of fellowship and to pray for, Lord, that these friendships would not become stagnant but would indeed grow. And when there are problems and when there are issues that divide us, that we would consider friendship so important that we would seek to resolve the differences that exist between us. O Father, we do commit to Thee uh, these things to our uh, understanding and to our practice in our lives, knowing that, uh, Lord, they will simply fall by the wayside. They'll go in one ear and out the other unless Thy Spirit applies them to our hearts and our lives. May we be a friend O God, who loves at all times. In Jesus' name, Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com. 
by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.